Are you critically insane, have a lot of excess money, or even better, both? Then you can support this podcast by clicking on the ACAR support button. You can give as rarely and as little as you want, which, judging by the quality of this, I'm sure you're wanting to do. Now, 28 had a whole gamut of facts that I did not understand. I was looking at this Wikipedia page, just all of them, just right over my head. So I just picked one of them at random. So 28 is a harmonic divisor number, a happy number, a triangular number, a hexagonal number, a Leyland number of the second kind, and a centred Nonagonal number. Rodrigo Cocti, what do you think of any of that? Did you say a happy number? Yep, I don't know what that means. <laughs> um, I don't know. It seems like the easier fact for 28 would have something to do with February, having 28 days every mm. four years. I don't know. If See, that wasn't actually on the Wikipedia page that <laughs> 28 is a number. But I think, so triangular numbers, they're the ones I remember that from school. You can draw them out as a triangle if you just like a dot for every, every like one. Two, so like three, one, etc. two, three, four. Yeah, five. exactly. I guess like 10 so would I be one, right? And then hex, hexagonal number is the same as that. Uh-huh. Centered nonagonal number, maybe something about drawing a nonagon, but yeah, happy number, harmonic divisor, Leyland number of the second kind, not, not a clue. Not a clue. I mean, I think these are the, the, the type of facts that the listeners are here for. You know, things that will make you think, mm. make you research. Mm. So I think it's very appropriate exactly. for the PhD student to send people to go research <laughs> numbers. Exactly. You know, maybe these facts are really useful for cell biology, and I just don't know. Uh-huh. I won't lie. I did click on some of them and try to read it. It was like, no, this is... Not a chance. Looking at cells is fine. Not Not whatever. Like, it starts off really simple, these Wikipedia pages at the top, and then it's like function or whatever and it's these crazy equations I there's a reason I don't do maths. <laughs> now PhD student reads episode twenty eight, like comic books themselves, you know, they go through periods of 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 change where nothing really changes really. Thinking back to a relaunch. I don't know. Yep, there's a, what a was it? Marvels <laughs> all new, all different, where really they just changed the lineups of some of yeah. the teams, but the creative teams were the same, everyone looked the same. It's pretty much that. We're going to focus less on individual panel by panel playbys. We've added some new segments, but really it's exactly the same. Much like a comic book relaunch. Um, yeah, so, but before we get to any of that, it's yet another month where I must start with some sadder news. Tim Sale, legendary artist most commonly known for working with Jeff Loeb on. Batman, Superman, Daredevil. Mm-hmm. I think those two, much like uh, Brew Baker and Sean Phillips, I think when you think of Tim Sale, you think of his stuff with with Jeff Loeb most commonly. At least I do. Yeah. Uh, he has sadly passed away. Yeah. I mean, I, for sure. Like when I read it, I thought immediately of I, not. I I think like my DC side of the the Tim Sale Jeff Loeb equation is that like as far as the Long Halloween, and that's about mm-hmm. it. 
But on the Marvel side, he did those like really cool Daredevil yellow, Spider-Man blue, Captain America mm-hmm. white, I think. Um, yep. Those are really interesting. I think... I mean, I, I also enjoy the other type of, I guess, like, uh, exploration of these characters, but, like, these kind of smaller, like, more emotional character studies mm-hmm. are something that I think Marvel doesn't do enough of these days, yeah, and absolutely. I think, like, uh, you know, it's it's incredibly sad, but uh, it's an opportunity to, to fit, try to understand why his work was so meaningful mm-hmm. by going to check out these books if you haven't had the chance to read them already. No, absolutely. I would absolutely agree. And I would agree with that comment that there's, you know... Because of the way Marvel have structured their their world, you know, no one ages. It's all supposedly one continuous, everlasting universe. You don't get that those sometimes more interesting character studies as the way DC often does, but they're more with Elseworld stories. Mm-hmm. I think one that's fused to mind is the more recent Spider-Man life stories. Have you read that? No, I haven't. Well, that was great. So it's sort of imagine if you were imagine Spider-Man. But he, it was roughly the same sort of plots, but if he aged in real time, so by the end of the book, Spider-Man is, is pretty old, uh-huh. um, but he's still going through the same roughly sort of adventures that he went through. So like there's some stories from the 70s, some stories from the 80s, but you know, Spider-Man is, right, Peter right, Parker right. is a decade older. I think that was a good exploration of yeah, that. Yeah, for sure. Um, you can follow this show on Twitter at PhD Reads. Again, there's an Instagram now. You can follow that PhD Student Reads. You can like it, share it, subscribe it, um, review it. I don't know. Anything else? Thumbs up, thumbs down. I don't know. All these podcast apps, they do it their own different ways. And of course, there will be spoilers ahead. Now, spoilers is an important thing to mention because last month we both agreed that the month of June. There's nothing nothing going on between the last time we recorded and now. And that was an absolute lie. We were both wrong. Like, very wrong. There's been all sorts of things that have been released that are somewhat relevant to this show. So I will start with The Boys. Do you watch The Boys? And do you like The Boys? So, um, just... I, I do... I do. I had not seen it until yesterday, actually. I started watching... I can't remember if, I, if I'm fully caught up or if I stopped after three. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, I have a new app. I downloaded an app that keeps track of my TV shows for me because it's Ooh. getting out of hand. See, now but that is an app that I want. Please. It's called TV Time, I think. The only thing is that you have to kind of almost manually upload everything that you're watching. And when it's something like me, you end up realizing that you watch way too much. <laughs> you know, like it's it, it's the conclusion that I came to. But it, at, at the very least, to be able to answer your question now, I can go back and see if I have watched. Yeah, I did watch all the way to episode five. So I am fully caught up. Well, so yeah. Do you like the boys? I do. I do. I mean, there are times where it feels like they it's almost like predictable what they're going to do for the shock value. And I think there are times where it feels like too referential to the current times that we live in, whether it's like, you know, the the racist people walking with tiki torches in kind of support slash protest of Stormfront suicide. Mm-hmm. Or there were some other moments where it's like it feels like obviously it's pulling the references from real life. But I think at its core, the idea of, you know, power, absolute power corrupting absolutely, right? And so superheroes get being into this position and realizing that why should they follow these rules that are set up for men and by men, right? Like they are no longer kind of of that same species or of that same world. So I think it's really cool. I think the the guy that plays Homelander, is his name Anthony Starr? Star, I think yeah. he's like really good at playing an asshole. And I think... Um, 
I mean, I, I know because I, I live in Toronto where a lot of this is filmed that he is actually apparently kind of that person off screen too. So I don't know how much of it is acting, but at least as his character, as a choice for his character, it is, I think, very well done. I mean, it kind of does have suffer for me some of the things that happen in a season three, season four, where it's like at this point you've created so many characters that some of them are kind of following falling into like rather uninteresting or, I don't know, relatively unexplored um, things like, you know, Maeve or, or The Deep or, you know, even like, I guess to, to a certain extent, the female of the species is getting like a, a story, but it's not really much yet, you know, like maybe in the future it will be more. But, uh, you know, overall, still very much enjoying it. I still think it, it's a fun watch, if perhaps not always, like, the most, like, intellectually uh, challenging watch. I would agree. I mean, I haven't read The Boys, ever. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I've even ever seen an issue of, of The Boys. Um, so, I came to this show with literally no knowledge of what, well, other than, like, you know, general, I understand what The Boys is about. Um, and I, I think it's a nice break from the other, because all the other superhero shows do roughly follow the same sort mm-hmm. of format. And The Boys has its own little niche. I mean, much like Invincible, I suppose, also on Amazon Prime. Uh, so, yeah, I like The Boys. I think it's just fun. It's no, it's not some big, deep, yeah. intellectual character study you're watching here. And, you know, that's fine. I don't need that the- in every show that I watch. The Boys kind of reminds me a bit of, like, the Knives Out situation. Have you seen the movie Knives yeah. Out? So, um, Knives Out is kind of like a classic mystery movie, right? Like, in the vein of, like, Hercule Poirot or Agatha Christie or whatever, etc. Um, and uh, there's always this thing where it's, like, there's a main sus- uh, suspect, right? And so, the conclusion can be either that it was a twist and it was somebody else, Mm -hmm. or it can play off the idea that you thought there was going to be a twist and it ends up being that same person. And so I feel like The Boys is kind of a parallel to, like, say, like a Marvel movie where it's like the Marvel movie has its structure, so you can expect that, or you can expect the opposite, which is The Boys. And so in many ways, it ends up no longer being as surprising because it's, like, kind of the expectation of what it's going to do. Like, um, I think we had spoilers alerts at the beginning, right? So if you haven't seen anything, like, maybe skip another 20 seconds because I am going to talk about a specific beat of it. But the the, the scene in the beginning where... um, in the first episode where the guy climbs into the guy's like penis hole and then sneezes and just like makes him explode. Like I knew that at some point they were going to do the Hank Pym wasp. Do you know the scene where like she climbs into him or whatever the implication is? And it's like, I was waiting for this moment. Like I knew it was going to happen at some point as soon as he shrunk, like, or when he was, like, with the Barbie doll and he grew, and I was like, this is it. This is what's going to happen. I mean, I I will say that maybe it's a twist that I didn't expect him to go through the front, because my assumption was going to go, he was going to go through the back, so that was new, but it's like, I knew that that was going to happen because it's, like, you know, in the kind of Knives Out, it's really, like, one or the other, right? Like, you go down one route, or you go down the opposite route, and so, like, at this point, both of them have kind of become predictable. Yeah, I would agree, and I'm less interested in the plot of this season of the boys getting powers I, mm-hmm. like that was the thing that made it slightly more interesting you know this group of this ragtag group of normal folk up against yeah superman and his his like gang of bad justice league members mm-hmm. but we'll see how that 
plays out. I mean, it, it seems like it's, it's going to push, um, I always want to call him Clive Owen, Carl Urban, mm-hmm. uh, Carl Urban, uh, the butcher into like one of two ways, right? Like either he is going to develop uh, some empathy for powered people, which seems doubtful, or he's going to feel as corrupted as the people that he's judging, right? Because it's like, uh, obviously he's a hypocrite right now, mm-hmm. but he, he does feel like it's like, you know, the means justifies the ends. But if his whole, like, you know, raison d'etre is to like, kill powered people then how do you tie that together with you being yourself powered or even huey right so i don't know it has to be i guess one or the other like you know either he's going to soften or he's going to have to end up like killing himself too i don't know i guess it seems at least from the tone of the boys it's more likely to be the uh, latter i don't think it's yeah. a show where there'll be a happy <laughs> ending but sure. a show that may have somewhat of a happier ending maybe for one particular individual is obi-wan kenobi which mm-hmm. also came out in this month where nothing was coming out. And it is, in my opinion, good. I, I'll admit, I went into this one with maybe too high of an expectation based on previous Star Wars Disney Plus shows, mainly because it has Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan Kenobi in it. And I was like, well, mm-hmm. what could possibly go wrong? And that is a bit of an over- Nothing, nothing has particularly gone wrong. I'm just less... Less interested than I thought I was going to be, and it runs into a, I think, a similar trap that all of these Disney Plus shows, especially the Star Wars ones, fall into. In that the episodes are so short that it's like, oh, just sort of getting into what's happening, and then it's like, oh, that that that's the end. Or there will be episodes that. So there's an episode where you know they they're breaking in, they're rescuing Leia from the the prison or whatever, and it's like, well, I would have rather had something else than this because they're so short the six episodes over by Kenobi it's like, well you've wasted a whole episode on on this which hasn't really furthered the plot you're just back to where you were before mm-hmm. much like you know back in when Boba Fett came out there was two episodes dedicated to the Mandalorian which is like that, that that's a different show I'll be watching yeah. that have you what are your thoughts I presume you've seen Obi-Wan Kenobi do you have thoughts yeah I have um, yeah I'm caught up I guess like you know, still with a caveat that there's one episode mm-hmm. left, yep. I think, right, for, for the season that we haven't seen yet. Um, overall, I, I enjoy it. I think there's some questions that I have in terms of, like, I guess, I don't know, maybe I misunderstood when they were promoting it. But the story seems so much smaller than I thought it would be. Like, at, when the season started and there was this kind of Leia kidnap subplot, I thought it would probably be resolved in, like, two episodes. And we would get to, like, the meat and potatoes of, like... W- what he ends up doing in Tatooine to, to to align with his journey. You know, I guess to some extent it is about him kind of rediscovering his faith in, in the Force after kind of, you know, losing it with uh, Anakin's betrayal of what he thought was like a prophetic journey that Anakin was supposed to be on. So that's one that I think it's like a, a little bit smaller than I thought it would be. And then my other like kind of complaint is like I don't know that we needed Hayden Christensen in this show for the use that he's been yeah. given. I mean, up to the last episode where he was in, like, a flashback, which, again, they CGI'd his face, so it's like, if you could do that, why couldn't you just do that, mm-hmm. period, you know? It's like, I, I don't dislike Hayden Christensen. I mean, I kind of did in the original, but it's like, I've kind of made my peace with him, and I'm happy that he's gotten this chance. I'm just kind of wondering, like, 
where are you going to use him until like last episode because right? it's like he was i'm guessing he was in makeup in that yep. back to tank in like episode two or three but that kind of seemed uh rather irrelevant i'm wondering is he even in the darth vader so costume? i read that there are like three this... people in the suit so there's like a really tall guy that's for like distant uh-huh. shots there's some guy that does the fight scenes and then if it's close-ups or just like general more personal movement then it's him in the suit uh-huh. But I would agree. Then it's so like, in some he who does. cares? It could be anyone. I could be in there. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, because the voice, too, is uh, James Earl mm-hmm. Jones. Apparently not even, like, re-recorded, but just, like, kind of, like, robots figuring yeah. out a way to make him do these lines, which is, like, crazy, but works. Like, I, my thing with this kind of tech is that sometimes they're a little bit overconfident in how good it is. And I think, like, that's kind of, like, you know, Luke at the end of yeah. The Mandalorian or, you know, some of these where it's, like, I don't think we're at the place where you think we are as, like, creators, you know? Like, I, I think this isn't landing as strongly. But for James Earl Jones's, James, James Earl Jones's voice, it, it, like, I, if I had not, if, I, if someone had not told me that, yep. I would have never noticed. So I think I'm fine with it. But it's like, where is Hayden getting to play? I, I beside, the, beside this last episode, I was, like, very confused. But we'll see how it ends up. I will say, though, putting kind of, like, more of that uh, lukewarm criticism aside... I do absolutely love uh, the the third sister uh, Moses. I think Moses is her Ingram. name, or yep. like I think she's absolutely great. I do think that the the reveal from last episode was a little bit too telegraphed, like from the beginning. In which case, I'm like, why not just reveal it from the get go? But um, I think she's great. I think like everything since um, A New Hope has been great for Darth Vader in the sense that like Darth Vader in the first movie is supposed to be like this terrifying force. But you don't really see it. Like, his fighting with Obi-Wan is kind of lame. Um, he, he captures Leia, but Leia mouses off to him back and forth. I'm pretty sure, like, I can't, like, I, it's been a while since I've seen the original trilogy. But, like, I think they're having, like, a team meeting, like, a workplace meeting. And it doesn't seem like he's, like, the highest ranking person there. Like, there's people mouthing off to him. Like, you know, like, the, there there's uh, not necessarily, like, this intimidation factor that I think, like, his, his, it's almost like his mm. urban legend was bigger than his reality, which I think is similar to Boba Fett, right? But I think, like, everything that they've done since has been very effective in making him terrifying. Um, the His presence in... Rogue One Rogue at the One? End, yep. Is that the one that's... Yeah, his presence at Rogue One was, like, incredible. I think this one, too, like, his, his, his fight with uh, Obi-Wan a couple of times, or, like, even with, with um, uh, the third sister, I think those have been really cool. I uh, I did read like the, originally there was this thing about how the lightsabers were added in post, so you couldn't never see the reflection of his lightsaber on his mask. But now because of the way I guess technology works, that they're able to do that all in CGI. Anyways, you now see it, right? So he lights up his red lightsaber, and you see kind of like this light hue over his mask. And even that I think is like so much more effective in making him scary, right? So. Overall, I think this show adds a lot of value. Um, I think Leia, this little precocious little girl, uh, is good. I know some people on the internet are like, she's a little too smart, she's a little too... I was like, I mean, where, I guess, like, w- at what point in the transition did you think that was going to happen? Again, to, back to my original point, Leia in the first movie is out here mouthing against uh, Darth Vader. Like, you know, she gets rescued and the first thing she says is like, aren't you a little short? To- oh, no, I, you know, the stormtrooper walks in, she's like, aren't you a little short to be a stormtrooper? Like, she's consistently and constantly, like, that's her personality. Like, why not believe that that's who she would have been all her life? So, overall, great. I think, um... Again, it's like I, I do feel a little bit robbed of the dream that I had had, which was like figuring out what uh, how Obi-Wan turns into like old Ben on Tatooine. 
But maybe there's going to be a season two. I mean, I would be happy. I think like Ewan yep. McGregor does a great job with Obi Wan. I would agree. Although if they do go a season two, they have to sort of wrap up the Darth Vader stuff here because otherwise, not to be that guy, but you know, otherwise, some of the stuff in A New Hope doesn't really make sense anymore. It's sort of like you know, yeah. But then it's like even mentally, even if we don't do a season two, like in the mind of you or me or the fans or the creators. Like, does Darth Vader think he died and that's why he stopped hunting him for those years? Because it's like immediately now, it seems like the Inquisitors and him specifically, they're like, I need to find Obi-Wan because he did this to me. But then, like, later on, it seems like, okay, well, now we have, like, this Death Star project that we're working on. So I'm going to put, like, my dreams of hunting down this person that nearly had me killed aside. And so, I mean, I like... Is this going to tie that together? Because I guess, like, from our previous encounter of Darth Vader, like, that was never really tied together, right? Like, his death and, like, wanting that revenge, too. Like, kind of forgetting about him until they encounter each other again in the Death Star. So, I mean, I don't know. I don't know that this tied... I don't know that that was already tied well together. I don't know that this is going to tie it well together. So, it's like, why not keep on pushing it forward and, you know, like, pretending that... Maybe maybe there's a reason why he thinks he's dead. I I don't know. I'm sure the next episode is just going to be a big fight between them. Because, you know, they made a big fuss about, oh, is the showdown of the century or whatever. And surely not it's that fight they had in, like, the third episode. Because that (laughs) wasn't really a showdown. It was more like Obi-Wan just getting getting handed to him for, like, a good five minutes. Which was very exciting. You know, you finally, like we touched on it earlier, you're finally getting to see that Darth Vader is a powerful individual not just a guy in a suit slowly waving around like a red yeah a red beam i i love i love that at some point people are going to say watch this chronologically in terms of the story and then get to like these badass fights and then get into a new hope and be like see like obi-wan and darth vader like poking at each other That's with especially true for rogue one at the end he's like doing the, like the flips and flip people up and he's like oh, like half an hour later he's on the he's on the he's on the <laughs> front of the distance like oh i guess that maybe needs to be recharged or something i don't know how how darth vader powers yeah. himself but yeah, I would absolutely everything you said about Hayden Christensen, like why? Like, why? Like, it made such a big. Like he's been doing all the press tours, but it is sort of just like, well, yeah. we did it, so we can say that that we did it, and we can make a whole big hype train about how he's going to be in it, and then set up. But even from his perspective, he's talked about how he went back and watched a, mm. a lot of Clone Wars because there was a lot of like Anakin Skywalker work done there. And I think that's great. I think the Clone Wars is great that's just right. as a property. So I'm very happy that he explored it. But it's kind of like, where is that informing his work? With like, you know what I mean? Like, it, it, I I don't know that he needed to do this much homework for his presence yet. Maybe maybe yeah, the last just episode big, will make me think like, just a big though. conversation. Like, well, remember that time when I did this, 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 yeah. and that during the Clone Wars? Like, oh, yeah, yeah. I was there. Um, but yeah, thoroughly mm-hmm. enjoying Obi Wan Kenobi. Not sure how. I mean, I think we've talked about it before. If there's a season two, I'll watch it. I can't say I'm. Oh, I'd be overly depending on well, depending on how the next episode wraps up. I suppose will be or dictate how I might feel towards yeah a potential second series. I mean, the way I feel about a lot of Marvel and Star Wars shows is that like not all of them. I feel you know it's like I'm not out here campaigning for them to win Emmys, but oftentimes they are entertaining enough that I enjoy watching them or giving them a chance. So it's like if they want to give it another season, it's like I'm I'm not going to be out here saying like this needs to, to get an Emmy, blah, 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 right? Like, maybe it's just going to be like, yeah, that was fun. And maybe that's also just okay, right? Like, I don't know that everything needs to feel yeah, like no, it's like a five out of five. But what I would shockingly maybe give a five out of five to 
is Miss Marvel. And I can't believe I'm saying that. Because going into the show, I was like, oh, this might be the one where I might actually dislike it. I'm not the biggest Miss Marvel fan to begin with. Mm-hmm. and But I can't believe it. I thought this might be the best of the uh, MCU Disney Plus shows, both in terms of the cast, what it's actually about. I feel like the smaller scale story is much more suited to Disney Plus than some big universe altering thing like like Loki. Uh, I do have some criticisms with it, but we can touch on that in a minute. What are your general thoughts on on Miss Marvel? Um, yeah, absolutely love it. I, I have you seen everything everywhere all at yes, once? Yes, I have. Oh, I, I finally after months of waiting and it being out in the UK but not in Aberdeen like I have seen it now and that was also I agree with your review 100% what a that might be one of the best films I've ever seen ever I, I mean, I don't think, like, it contextually it's too attached, but I, what I wanted to point out was the directors of Everything Everywhere All at Once are these this duo called The Daniels. Mm-hmm. And they are young directors that started kind of, like, in this Vimeo YouTube space, and they've kind of grown since then, and they've had all these relationships with people that have also been doing, like, YouTube stuff and so on. And it just, it, it's like a freshness in their voice that is not seen often in cinema. And I think that that's also, like, something that is seen, I feel a lot from Miss Marvel, like this kind of uh, youthful, fresh attitude to approach to a project like this. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the first two directors are these kind of two young Moroccan directors, Adil and Bilal, I think. And then the second episode was directed by, uh, 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 I think it's a director, a woman named Mira Menon. Menon? But she right. is also, I would say, like relatively young and so on. She's only been really active since 2009. So I, I just think that it is nice to see um, a new perspective i think you know this character i am a big fan of but before this a lot of people were kind of upset about this changing of the powers and so on and the actress who is uh you know a canadian local um she said something about like they could change their powers to whatever and you know if she was still who she is at her core then that would be good enough for her and there was some backlash to that right because i think some people were like oh we really want to see like the mr fantastic type powers but I think she was spot on and I think like the series has like that's been the good thing that it's like they figured out like what exact what is the essence of this character and of this series that made it so effective the first time that we kind of launched it right and I think they understood that and then they have added some like window dressing to make it fit into like the regular MCU like obviously she needs to have much more of a cosmic um connection so that she can be part of the marvels which is probably where she will be seen next with um captain marvel and uh i guess are they both captain marvel i don't know that they've given okay. monica rambo a name yet photon maybe uh, yeah maybe photon and, and whatever so th- obviously there have to be some but at her core she is still exactly the character that she was in the comic book like the uh, the, the secondary characters the the subplots that are happening they are still exactly what made the original one special um, I think, like, some of the stuff, like, the use of texting through, like, visual cues on the street I is, love like, that scene. great. I think that was fantastic. And the first episode, there's this shot where she just kind of, like, throws herself over the couch and, like, the camera kind of, like, follows her. And it's, like, this weird angle that's, like, very unique and not often seen. Like, everything about it just feels, like, very inventive and very fresh. So, yeah, I'm having a blast watching these yeah. first two episodes. And it's just fun. Like, it's just light-hearted fun. Is there really a villain? No. Like... And I don't care. 
It's just like a teen romp about a girl that suddenly got some powers out of nowhere. She's got no one to fight. She's just coming to terms with this mm-hmm. quite monumental change in her life. I mean, I feel like if you and I got powers, I feel like oof, I wouldn't go outside for a week. <laughs> just, or depending on what my powers were, of course, I suppose. Yeah. But like just sitting at home... Like trying to move things or something. If I had to tell, I think it would be a lot of that. It would be like, how can I get that to come to me without moving? Is a lot of what I would do with my powers. Exactly. Although (laughs) I do, you touched it. I do wonder why they changed her powers because she does sort of have the same powers, just light based, just light based, Mm -hmm. and she can sort of. She's more like if you haven't seen it and you're listening to this part, she's got. She's more like Green Lantern in that she can make things like yes. bits to step on but she can also then have make a stretchy arm mm-hmm. or which i'm not sure if that was just more like a because she, she only did that in one scene yeah it's like look stretchy arm uh uh-huh. but i guess we'll, we'll see how it goes and it just bothered me a little only because they reintroduced black bolt and the terrigen mists in multiverse of madness I mean, it, well, I mean, but did they reintroduce the Terrigen Mist? Like, this is, this well, is I think, the, the essence, right? Like, it's like right. the explanation of Inhumans is, I think, what they wanted to avoid, mm-hmm. right? Um, because I think, like, Black Bolt is easy enough in the sense that it's like, if you don't know who he is, it also doesn't matter. They kind of tell you that it's like he can destroy something by opening his mouth, and then, you know, since it doesn't really matter who he is, etc. I think it's like a nice cameo for other people, but I think if you're going to do it here, you have to do some cleanup mm. in the sense it's like. The Inhumans are positioned how in this world, like in the comic books, there is a lot of like Cree background that do you have to explain? Do you not have to explain? There is the mists that um that are important to their I guess like change from regular people or so on. But I do think that some of it is there. They do imply that um that the 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 bands are activating something within Kamala, mm-hmm. not not the other way around, yeah. right? And so. I don't know if that is meant to say that there's something in her DNA specifically that allows her to use this, like, when in contact with these bands. I mean, I think the implication is also there that maybe her grandmother or her great-grandmother was some type of ancient hero yeah. who these bands belong to that have then been passed down. So we'll, we'll have to see. Um, I, I, I do think that it's just, like, the idea of, you know, like, the question of whether the bands are giving you powers or your powers are innate to you is a lot easier when it's something like a Green Lantern-type power. Like, if she's stretching out her hand and stuff, like, it's harder to think that the band is doing yeah. that. So maybe it's that ambiguity and also just, like, the the whole, like, I don't know, the the inhumans of it all. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It might. It could, she could have just been exposed to some gas, and then if you knew, you knew. If you didn't, it doesn't really matter. But then again, it doesn't yeah. really matter. Like, <laughs> It's, yeah, it's I mean, I, we'll see. We'll see. I guess we'll, we'll wait. We'll wait to see where this goes, and I think also like where mi- the Marvels goes. Like, I think maybe that also has a part of the puzzle here as to why they changed it from Inhumans to something like the Bands. Like, maybe it is like a gift from the Kree that connects her more to Captain Marvel or something. Yeah, but I, I just, I'm just so surprised at how much I liked it. To be honest, I think that's the biggest thing here. Like the mm-hmm. trailers, I didn't think were that kind to it it made it look I mean I understand she's a child and so her suit is supposed to look a bit cheap and nasty but it did look a bit too cheap but now seeing it in context of everything else going on it's much Uh more yeah just fun 
Can't think of a better way to describe it than that. Fun. So I'm looking forward to seeing where that goes. I hope there's not some villain that they introduce like really quickly for her to fight. Like a, I, I know they've introduced what is it, the Damage Patrol or whatever that we briefly saw back yeah. in Spider-Man, and that's fine enough. Uh-huh. I don't need her to fight somebody. I think it's going to be a mix of that. It's going to be a mix of this woman that was introduced at the the end of the the last episode, which I think maybe is her grandmother. I'm not yeah. sure if that's the if that's where they're going with that. She's definitely the woman from these visions that she keeps on having and kind of implied like she's been waiting a long time to see her. So I think it's going to be maybe kind of like choosing this path or the honor of her family and then like maybe at some point like some type of situation that forces her to use her powers at the end and kind of make a choice that she's both the person that wants to make her family proud and a superhero. So his last question, do you think Brie Larson will make an appearance at the end? I think so. I, I think she'll have a cameo. I mean... What else is Brie Larson doing? You know, like I think she'll have a cameo. Yeah, I mean, the last thing I saw her in was Shang Chi. I suppose she showed up in that for about right at the end. So you just can. Oh, yeah, she right was the... right. Yeah, within the the Ruffalo recruiting, or I guess Wong recruiting. Yeah. Phase Wong, I've heard, is uh, what people are calling Phase One because <laughs> he's everywhere. I think he's supposed to be in She Hulk at some point. Oh, I suppose that's that's, oh, that's abomination great. related because again, back in Shang Chi, he was doing some training i don't know rehabilitation with yeah. the abomination so um i will say what's the guy's uh the actor's name benedict benedict Wong, right? i think benedict. i think he is doing a better job at portraying this character than the character is actually in the comic books like um i think he's made he's made the character more interesting than i've ever been interested in the character in the comic book so yeah i can't him. say i think of no, I can't think of anything that I've read that, where I think, oh yeah, Wong. Literally, and he's been he's he's been in issues, but it's like I can't have I don't have like a single Wong memory from comic. So well done, Benedict Wong. You have exceeded all expectations. Maybe that's why I think I've yet to hear anyone complain about him about about his portrayal of Wong. Maybe that's why he's suddenly just been shoved into everything. It's like everyone loves you. Which, just put you in yeah. and that's fine with me i will watch more and he's a sorcerer supreme in marvel now which i think is like has he been in the comic books maybe he has I don't, i'm not too too knowledgeable of Doctor yeah, sure right but maybe right so that is tv time over over and done with uh and so on to our comic book reading shenanigans so change in format number one we both sort of change it up so it's like a I couldn't think. I tried to think of something better than not to call it this, but like a pick of the month of what of the things that we have read. Um, so I went to the Netherlands and I thought I would have loads of reading time. I took loads of books with me, and I turned out I didn't. So I've actually only read two things. Uh, but the my pick of the my choice of the month. I got to think of something better than pick of the month. Uh, is Essential X Men Volume One. So these are black and white reprints ranging from giant-sized X-Men number one and then issues 94 to 119. So that's a period from 1975 to 1978. So it's... So this is Claremont? So this is Chris Claremont Claremont. with art by Dave Cockrum and John Byrne. Uh, The colorists are credited, however, as these are black and white reprints. There there is no colour to look at. But uh, so I picked these up quite a while ago. I've got there are seven of them, and I have all seven. So they cover 
again, from giant size X-Men all the way through, there's a one volume that's focused on the Dark Phoenix. I think that's a bit further down the line. Um, and I just wanted to see... I haven't read comic books that are this old, so I thought it'd be an interesting experience to see what they were like. So, Giant Size X-Men has got quite a famous cover. If you think of X-Men, you might think of this cover. It's the one where there are the original four X-Men at the top, and then the new X-Men that are introduced mm -hmm. running through the the page. Um, so, right. the first Ripping story is about that. The original X-Men minus Beast who they subtly mention has gone off to do something else, and then it's revealed that he's actually one of the Avengers. But he couldn't... This is back in the 70s. You can't have two jobs, unlike in the Marvel Universe yeah. now. You're one or the other. So Beast has right. is now Blue Beast, uh, even though on the cover it's Human Beast, but that doesn't matter. Uh, so yeah, he's mm -hmm. gone off to join the Avengers. So it's the main four Avengers plus Havoc. Um are the core X-Men team, and they went off to do something that Charles Xavier had some collected some signal, and it's like, oh, there's a mutant, we must go off. So off they go. Ah, oh, it's the island of Krakoa, but we don't know that yet. So then <laughs> they lose all the X-Men, so Charles Xavier's like, okay, we'll just make a new team of X-Men to go and find the old X-Men. So then they introduce your, your now, I mean, they're now they're common, common X-Men, your Colossus, you've got Wolverine, Storm, Nightcrawler, uh, who else is there? Banshee and uh, John Proudstar is another. Right. They're the they're the new X Men. And what I thought was just quite funny is that by the end of Giant Size X Men number one, the original X Men team decide to leave. <laughs> I guess you had to go in and find a way to to like. So it's like well, we didn't just they didn't just die, but why bother with all that? They could have just left at the start. And then the whole issue could have been about yeah. recruiting the new X-Men team because some heroes get like a good few panels. Wolverine, I mean, it seems mm -hmm. dumb now, but at the time, no one gave a toss about Wolverine. You know, Charles Xavier, he's rolling up to this Weapon X that's not the Weapon X that we now think of. It's just like a government building and he's there working for them. And it's like, oh, yeah, do you want to come and join the X-Men? You won't have to work for the government anymore. Okay, yeah. And then he's off. That's it. Or like Banshee gets like one panel. It's like, hello, do you want to join the X-Men? Yeah, all right. That sounds good to me. I don't really have anyone else. Whereas other people get like a whole bit. So if you are most familiar with Nightcrawler from like the original X-Men films, there's that whole scene in the second one where he's running from the people, hiding in the church. That's pretty much all from Giant Size X-Men number one. Uh, mm -hmm. Except instead of Storm showing up, it's... It's Charles Xavier, and again, it's just like, I run a school. <laughs> I'll take you away. That's fine. No one really disagrees except John Proudstar, but then his, his... I don't know. Why? They clearly... I haven't... I'll admit, I haven't read all of the issues here. I'm probably about halfway through. But they killed John Proudstar yeah. in the third the third like issue. It's like, well... Yeah. Okay. Why? Because... Like, if you're going to kill one of them, kill Cyclops. He's the only member of the original team. It's like, why kill someone that I really don't care about? And all they do is fight each other. Like, not like physically, like verbally. They don't get on. None of them do. It's like, well, oh no, the one I liked the least is, is dead. Yeah. Uh, but mm -hmm. what's more interesting reading these is the structure. <laughs> it's very much... I think, I, you know, I went on and on about it when reading... Uh, 
the Age of Apocalypse books. It's very much a tell, not show. And here, it's that, yeah. but twisting right up. It don't show you anything. It's just... And it's very much... The tone is different. Unlike in the like Age of Apocalypse, they're just telling you. Here, it's sort of as if um, Chris Claremont is like writing to you, the reader. It's like, look, reader, this is happening. It's like, okay, yep, can't you just show it to me, please? So I think it is quite mm-hmm. um, interesting to see. I'm very much glad comics have moved away from that because I find it quite annoying. Yeah. Especially, it's like, oh, dear reader, how will the X-Men... It's like, I just, I don't need that. Can I ask you some questions? Oh, no, please your, do. Your experience with this? Ask I ha- away. I have several. Um, one is, are you familiar with the concept of, I guess, like the Marvel style of writing versus the DC style of no. writing? Like the scripts? Yeah, I am. So um, the Marvel style of the DC style of writing, I guess, is more so like what you would imagine like a film script is like, where it's like, you know, these descriptions of what should go here mm-hmm. and the text and so on. And the Marvel style of writing is kind of, I believe, and I may be uh, spreading fake news here. So if I am, you know, and you're a listener to this, feel free to call me out. But I think it's a product of Stan Lee's like overextending himself to write like a million characters. And so what he would do is basically like mm-hmm. plot out the beats of something, send it to the artist. They would... Uh, draw out the um, 12 pages then he would go back and fill in with words like the context of what was happening and so on right and so I'm not sure if Claremont does this but it's a product very much of that time and so I think often like now in our current modern day we've developed like this kind of more sympathetical relationship between the artist and the writer mm-hmm. where they are working together to tell the story but I think for a long time it was very very divorced right like I think um, especially from like a uh, Maybe this is also the reason why there's always like this weight given to the writers, but much less so given to the artists. And I think that's kind of um, showing in a lot of these older issues. Like I, I agree with you. Like I've I've gone through like let me do like a full X Men run several times, and it's like I think it's like okay, I'll read like a couple of issues a day for however long. And then when you start reading like these old issues, it's like first of all they take you so much longer because there's about like. 120 words yep. in each individual panel but also they're like irrelevant words right it's like you know it's like oh Jean Grey is gonna see that I'm doing this and it's like in the panel you're seeing that Jean Grey is like you know like yep. it's already stated you don't need to repeat it but that was a product of the time so I, I do agree with you there the second thing I wanted to ask you was um are you familiar with uh X-Men Deadly Genesis no I can't say I am either it is a mini series. Like I, I don't know if you you know this, but at some point they kind of like relaunched um, X Men. Like this is like twenty years ago or so. Mm-hmm. And one of the writers was Mike Carey, who is a British writer and who's really good. Who wrote um, The Unwritten. I don't know if you, you're familiar with that book, but he wrote like one of the X Men books, and that was the one that had um, like Rogue kind of leading her her team of um, I don't know like misfits maybe. Like it had like Mystiques and Saber Saber Twos and cannonball and nice land and it was a really cool he, he did a really good job but then the other book on the other side it was kind of like more of the main flagship book was ed brubaker who ended mm-hmm. up um taking his team to space and dealing with the shiar and so on but before he did that he did like a six issue miniseries that dealt specifically with um the what you just read the 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 xavier sending this team to krakoa and so i don't know if this is going to be spoilers for you but the the plot for for this deadly genesis book was that xavier first sent another team to go rescue like the 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 main um the the o, o 5 or whoever were captured right the original 5 
and this team consisted of Scott Summers' other brother. So it's like uh, the two are already captured or so on. And then he found Gabriel Summers, who was the third Summers brother, um, this uh, mutant that could slow down time called uh, Sway, uh, a mutant that could control like Earth, basically, like called Petra, and then one that could basically evolve to any danger called Darwin. Now, Darwin has gotten on to be shown in like other media. He was even in a movie and so on. But so this team, they go to Krakoa and they're like trying to rescue and then they all die. They all die with the exception of Gabriel Summers. And the other three basically, um, actually, sorry. So you think that all three die. Darwin doesn't die because, again, his power is to not be able to die, which I think was like a main criticism for like the time that he was in the movie. And then he just ended up dying. But the other two, Petra and Sway, like Petra covers Gabriel Summers in like a rock and Sway basically slows down things so that he can survive. He ends up surviving. He ends up being super pissed off. He tries to kill Xavier and so on. It's kind of also in this era where there was that. There was like Xavier apparently knowing that the danger danger room was like a sentient being, but still being like, I'm going to keep you trapped because I need my team to train or whatever his thing was. Like there was a lot of like gray area things that we were doing that keep on bringing it all from the past that was making making people pissed off with Xavier. So it was all of that era. But I just think it's interesting that you're like, why did he bother sending one team when he actually sent the two teams to rescue these people? And it's like, at what point do you cut your losses to like how many mutants have to die to rescue like your four people? But it's just funny, I think. Especially when they I mean I've got obviously as a reader it's different but as Charles Xavier would know. Like just as soon as they get back they're like Oh yeah, cool. So you Peace got you, you got new X Men, so I don't need to do yeah. this anymore. So yeah, cool. I'm gonna yeah, go I, off and I, live my I, own life. So I think that Claremont was. Uh, I don't know what the chronology is, and again, if you're like a much more knowledgeable person than I, please feel free to correct me. But I think like he basically wanted to do his issue one with the new team, and so then they're like, okay, so we need like one issue. Like we'll put out a special issue for you to figure out like how do we get from point A this original team to point B this new team, and so it's like. I guess it didn't make sense for them to just peace out. So they're like, we need to put them in an adventure where these other people prove themselves of being able to do this and then these other people will leave. So I think there was some of that. I do think that like one point of particular, um, I don't know, like big importance later on is that the original five, like Stan Lee's vision of the X-Men were all these like five waspy white characters, right? I think Claremont, the biggest thing that he did is, like, making us rethink who had the ability to gain these powers. And it's, like, really, it was, like, a worldwide thing. So you get, like, Storm that's from, uh, is, is she from Kenya? Yeah. Some part in Africa. I'm not sure exactly. Uh, you know, Nightcrawler, who's from Germany. And, and you know, John Prosser, who's, like, an indigenous uh, indigenous character. Like, Wolverine, I guess, who's, like, the diversity from Canada. I don't know that that, that provided much there. Um, and, uh, obviously the, the UK representation, is he actually, is he like Irish yeah, he's or like, like Northern super Irish? Irish. So and, and the, uh, the part that I always enjoyed too of Claremont, which is like a knock against him, but also probably like contextually within his time, not as bad. is like how, uh, how he writes characters that are supposed to have an accent. And it's like, it, it, I think like Banshee's dialogue for most of his run is like not dissimilar to what people would think like the, of the Lucky Charms leprechaun, yeah. you know, like that's, that's kind of like the level yeah. of depth. He wears a flat cap and he smokes a pipe as well. <laughs> and then as for Colossus, like he's just talking perfectly normally. And then there'll just be a one word that's just in Russian. And it's just like, Absolutely. That that is like the signature Claremont writing a foreign language person. It's just like the one word that they throw in of their original language and then continue on. But I do think that like Claremont was putting an effort into bringing his understanding of diversity into the team. 
and you know even in new mutants too like the they're all kind of like from all over the place all these different backgrounds um you know and then i think like that in particular has been so instrumental to the x-men dna Mm -hmm. of who they are as people right like for I, I think obviously it extends from the metaphor of like you know ra- racism and oppression and so on and making sense that they would be kind of like these you know people of color or like queer people or whatever it ends up being and so I think like that's kind of like one good thing that I would give like that kind of era that I think that they they you know like the the Claremont giant size X Men team walked so the X Men today could run. Um, one last question. I'm guessing you haven't been keeping up with like X Men of today. Or... I mean, uh, I've been touching in here and there, more so yeah. less reading it but watching like recap yeah. videos. Just are, to are you keep familiar with the concept? Are you familiar with the concept that they have now of like the I can't remember what they're called. It's like the five X Men that basically can re- resuscitate anyone yeah. that's died. I'm so like yeah, I'm familiar yeah, but not it... oh like an expert. So basically, there's five um, characters that, through their powers, all contribute to a different way, and you know, it, it involves also like Xavier having like a backup of your, I guess, psyche in Cerebro and so on. And so everyone from this point forward, um, if they die, they just come back. Like there's no issue with that, right? And uh, they just couldn't do it backwards. And then recently, they had this this um, mini series, I guess, about the Scarlet Witch. She's kind of seen as a villain on Utopia. Mm-hmm. Which again, uh, is, uh, sorry, Krakoa is really where they are, right? Like the Krakoan island is where they live now, and so you kind of see because she she brought like the the decimation and all this, and so her way of making up to it is that she accessed her powers to be able to like reach the psyche of people from even beyond from before when they weren't able to do that, and so the, like I, I bring this up because one of the big plot points or story points that is being carried forward now is that they finally brought back John Proudstar, and he is uh, they're going to deal with I guess that. But it, it is interesting because I think he is a character who has had uh, a big influence in the book, but he's really been in four issues. Wait, so right? like that's that was it? That's John Proudstar's entire... Yeah, there is a second Thunderbird in that is the brother of that character, who has obviously had a much bigger impact, but, uh, you know, he's been influenced by, like, his anger kind of carried forward from, you know, his brother dying fast, and I think, like, the idea of... Um, you know, team members being able to die. Like, it, it's kind of like Thunder... The original Thunderbird is, like, their Ben Parker or their, like, right. Bucky, you know? Like, a, a, a signal that it's, like, the stakes are raised and so on. I mean, I don't know why you have to pick, like, like an indigenous character and then kill him off immediately, especially in the, the, the context of it. But, uh, you know, they're finally, I think, giving him a chance to shine now. Like, I, I know there was... I think an issue came either came out or is coming out that's especially about him coming back to life. Well, that's certainly something, because I've just been waiting for, like... Like, oh, he's going to come back, like this one, or the next one. No, well, sorry. Well, that's sorry fine, because then, John Powell yeah. was by far and away the worst <laughs> character of the original team. And his death is his own yeah. fault, anyway. So, he, yeah, yeah. like, they, the whole, so like, yeah, the, the first story is Giant Size X-Men number one, bringing this new team. And then they go off and Count Nefaria, who I've only ever come across once, and that was when I was reading the Bendis uh, Moon Knight. He's the villain in that. Much simpler times back in the 70s. Modern day Count Nefaria can fly, shoot lasers out of his eyes. This guy is just a guy that just dresses up yeah. like a count. And he's got like animal men that work for him. That are people that he's mutated into animals. There's a frog guy. There's a gorilla guy. You know, just the, there's a cat man whose name is Catman Because they really don't want to push the boat <laughs> out too much. Uh, and then like they... He's like hijacked this this like, nuclear base or whatever. And he, he's like, oh, I'm gonna set off these nuclear bombs because why not? And so yeah. that's that, that's when you find out that 
the Beast to join the Avengers because the Beast like shows up and he's like, oh yeah, the Avengers are busy, so uh, can you can you guys go and uh, sort this out for us, please? Like, yeah, all right, okay. Mm-hmm. And then, like, I don't know, maybe just my modern day sensibilities, but some of the things got insane. They fly over to this nuclear base and then there's a whole big panel that's like, oh no, it's the it's the US Air Force. The next panel, it's psyched up on an intercom saying. Oh, it's the X Men. They're like, okay, you can come on through then. Like, what? <laughs> and then yeah. they're running. Yeah, I, I, I no, please. I think it it doesn't it hasn't aged the best, and I think especially when you read like Claremont today, even like the stuff that he writes today, it's kind of like, well, you haven't really updated your style in like the last forty years, and we've kind of moved on. Like, there's a lot, especially as you read, if you keep on going forward, you're gonna see that a lot of his like uh writing ticks appear over and over and over there's a lot of like you know the focused totality of my whatever you know like he says like that kind of stuff over and over again but i will say that he did like revolutionize the x-men so it's like I, what i just mentioned mm-hmm. about like diversity but also like especially if you read the stan lee stuff it's always like these one and done like structural adventures that feel very much like a, a classic batman yeah. tv show that it's like you know you know what's going to happen you know like what the beats are you know how it's done how it resolves itself, and I think like Claremont, Claremont really uh, changed things up. Like maybe not where you are yet, but you're gonna start seeing like bigger arcs, more complex narratives. Like you know, X Men facing facing off not just against other mutants, but like against like alien species and like you know other people that have like their purposes in mind. I so I give a lot of credit to Claremont as like a, a story as a, like an architect of what the X Men are today. But I do think that like his writing style feels very dated for a person that lives mm. in the modern day times, and so it's kind of like you have to give it almost like a, a paleontologist <laughs> perspective, right? Like it's like I, I'm analyzing how this ended up influencing what we have today, rather than like this is like I mean, again, the story often still really works, but it's like the writing is still in the specific details, like very dated, and I think that's often the criticism that he gets when he writes stuff today, where it's like the writing style is still mm. exactly the same. Yeah. I think I was getting a bit off track. The whole point was is that they they stopped Count Nefaria because it turns out that the nuclear like thing they had to stop. There was like a a big time limit. Like, oh, is it you've only got one hour? Otherwise, these bombs just they go off by themselves, which is, seems a bit of a strange design of a weapon system. But okay, so they get there, and then Cyclops like, oh, oh no, the machine's damaged. We can't turn them off. So then Charles Xavier's head pops up and goes, oh no, turns out it's broken, don't worry. But one of your X-Men is going to die. And it's just, John Proudstar, he jumped on top of Count Nefaria's plane and is just like punching the cockpit. Banshee is flying right alongside the plane and he's like, get off the plane, please. I will just, you know, use my scream to destroy yeah. the plane. And he's like, no. And then the plane blows up and he dies. I mean... I would very much like to read this issue where John Pramstar comes back just for like, we tried to save you and it was your <laughs> fault. I mean, him. I was really broken up about it because in the next issue, Scott Samuels is so upset, he fires a, an optic blast and knocks down some column thing that releases a demon, so then they have to fight a demon. Like, we had to fight a demon because I was so upset over your death and it was your fault. <sighs> I know, it's just it's just funny. But the thing that amused me the most about the end of, of Giant Size X-Men is that after the story about this whole new team, there are three very short stories just sort of descri- telling you about some of the members of the X-Men. So 
You've got one for Cyclops, one for Iceman, and one for Jean Grey, which makes not much sense when two of those people left the team. But regardless, it's just amusing how more complicated things have come. Because they for the Cyclops one, they just explain how Cyclops' powers work. And he's basically, they basically go, oh yeah, he's like a plant. Uh, he photosynthesizes light, and then it comes out of his eyes. That's, that's it. I think nowadays, wasn't it something like, is there a portal? Or did they go back on that? There is a portal to another dimension. I think it, I that think it is, yeah. Comes out. And also, you know, big thing yep. is that it doesn't create It just heat, creates, it just creates force. Like force. They explain that by yeah. someone throws a boulder at, uh, at Cyclops and he just pushes it back with the, with his optic blast. Yeah. The... Although I have seen at some point him light a fire with his eyes, so it's like, is it? But yeah, that was... Essential X-Men Volume 1, or at least some of Essential X-Men Volume 1. The most essential Exactly. Essential I mean, I think the, probably the first, the tie, <laughs> just that first bumper issue, 66 pages, I think they say, is probably the most essential part of yeah. that. But, uh, yeah, that is the best half a book I've read this month, which might say something else about what else I've read. But uh, tell us, Rodrigo, enlighten us with your probably high-quality reading. I mean, yes and no. Um, it, so, I don't know if you know this, but Netflix is putting out pretty soon uh, a series based on a comic book, famous comic book, uh, Neil Gaiman's mm-hmm. the, the Sandman. So, I was like, oh, let me read that. Like, I've had it forever, and it's like I've never really read it. So, uh, I was like, okay, let me give that a shot. And so, several thoughts. Um, if you haven't read this, by the way, so like the it's illustrated by a variety of people. So it's listed on the cover. I'll do, I read the first two volumes. Uh, the first one is illustrated by Sam Keith, Mike Dringenberg, Malcolm Jones the third. Uh, the second one, Mike Dringenberg, uh, Malcolm Jones the third, then also Chris Bachalo, Michael Zuli, mm-hmm. Steve Parkhouse. Um, each one of these contains, I think, about eight uh, issues of the comic book itself. Um, so before this, I kind of had a vague idea of what was what this was about. Um, I know that it involves dream and then it starts like with uh, them trying to capture death, but then accidentally capturing dream and so on. But I will say as I was reading this, number one, I was surprised by how DC this book actually ends up being. Like I know it is like um, vertigo, which is an imprint of, mm-hmm. of, of DC and, and um, like I, it isn't. I think even Watchmen kind of did that, right? Like it's, it's not exactly the DC characters, but they're like riffs yeah. off the DC characters, so it still feels connected. Like this one has a lot of names and people, and I'm like, wait, who is that? And then I Google, and it's like, oh, this is like the real name for like Miracle Man, or this is like the the real name for I don't know, like this is Capolita, or like all these other characters that are there. Like Arkham Asylum isn't like the first one, and I'm like, what is like? I did not realize that they were that that connected. But to begin, so some of the challenges with reading this, um, the art is very, very chaotic. And sometimes I'm looking at this and I'm like, what would this look like in a modern day sensibility? Would, would Neil Gaiman still want it to be like this chaotic or is this a reflection mm-hmm. of what artists uh, did at the time? So I don't know. It's like my artist, I, I, I approach a lot of things from like a written word perspective. So maybe I'm not the best to criticize um, art. Like maybe this is super revered or so on. But oftentimes, it, my eye struggles to figure out where it's supposed to go next when I'm looking at these panels. Or, like, which details are important and which ones are just kind of, like, nice background details, right? 
But overall, the story, the structure of the story, it starts off with, um, you know, like, I guess, like, the, the leader of a cult, uh, in a cultist or whatever, and he make, makes a deal with a librarian to get, like, this this book that is necessary. He ends up getting, like, he ends up giving in and giving him the, the, this book when his own son dies. Um, through that, they capture Dream, even though that they wanted to capture Death, and you kind of see how that impacts a variety of characters. Um, as they move forward, this is the biggest first plot twist for me, is that I thought kind of that it dealt with like the ramifications of that event. Basically, Dream is captured for a lifetime. And um, within the first issue, the, the, the person that captured him, he dies. His son, Alex, ends up being the person in charge. When he's in charge, Dream actually manages to escape. And so there's punishment in place for the people that captured him. But really, I think what the book has been about since is kind of like what has happened in the time that he's been gone. So he kind of leaves. He In, in the first volume, he is like um, trying to go back to his original place and figure out like where some of these important relics are. Through that, he ends up interacting with a variety of characters. You know, it's, it, that's kind of like the, the first arc. The second arc is, um, I guess, like the other characters around him trying to figure out. It's called The Doll's House. And like it's a lot of these characters around them around him trying to figure out like what do we do now um how do we deal with the fact that he's returned like how, I mean, some of them are trying to gain his power some of them were like creations that he did that have disappeared that have to be found again um there's a character in this which is like one of the darkest i guess subplots i've ever read um i think uh especially i think like our sensitivity towards um and you know if, if you are triggered easily by concept of sexual assault like maybe i do suggest like skipping ahead like a good solid two minutes because it's going to deal with that uh a woman that i guess like fell asleep during the time that dream was captured and just wouldn't wake up and then is raped during this time has a child that is carried to full term and then that child is taken away and so in that second volume we start seeing like this child that is that like the child product of rape like dealing with the reality as as her mother has now woken up because dream has escaped and um her children basically are like one of the what the daughter is looking for this long lost son and so on but i was like that was incredibly i mean like i i, I don't know if this character is going to be continued explored moving forward but it did seem like within the the first volume when you see this beat explored that seemed already like enough and then like that they brought it back for the second time to like continue it i was like is this like a main plot point in this book i don't know i mean like overall i would say i'm not loving it as much as i hoped i did but it doesn't have to do really with the story itself. It's more so, I think, like, kind of similar to what you're going through, that it's, like, obviously written in a different time. So it's, like, the the art, the words, they are, I think, contextually different than how they would be plotted out, perhaps, today. I think, actually, the story is really interesting. Um, I'm going to continue pushing pushing through it. I, I have uh, enjoyed it enough that I don't, I don't feel like it's a chore. But it definitely was surprising, I guess, in how not easy to read it is like it, it there seems to be like barriers along the way some of it is uh, a relative wordiness some of it is um you know the just the art style changing and being very jarring um the colors too are they do remind me a little bit i guess like of the colors that were happening in that era so i think also maybe it's like if you just like i think digital art has really revolutionized the game so part of it is that but i think um you know like i guess I don't know, I'm hoping that I love it more. I, I do think that my biggest surprise was just, like, how DC it feels. Like, I, I think you, there's probably a lot there that, I don't know if they're meant to be just, like, Easter eggs, or they're meant to be, like, if you know, like, the DC universe, this is going to, like, you have a sense of, like, where these characters are going, or what they want to do, or why they would do these things. Like, Martian Manhunter is in this, straight up. Like, they're yep. not even, uh... That's something I was going to mention. I was like, oh, 
Yeah, I think I remember Martian Manhunter being. Yeah, unique. yeah. So, so you've read this, I guess. Like, what what did you think? Like, or how do you think? Like, how, what well, do you think of? So like, I have my only read so a little of it because I also. It's funny that you mentioned the art. I find the art just horrible to look at, and that's really just put me off. Like, I own the first volume, and it's like, like I'd rather this was a book, so I don't have yeah. to look at it. And that that's the thing with comic books. You can't just ignore it. Because it's so much of the page space, and it is important to the, you know, the functional storytelling of the of the medium. It's like, I really just don't like it, and it's not in the same way as something like again Age Apocalypse, where it's like, like this isn't good, but I can sort of get past it. It's just something. Maybe it is the chaotic nature of it. I just, it just, it's so bright and garish, and it's like, why am I? I just don't want to look at it. I'd rather look at, I don't know, something else. Yeah, 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 I agree. So, I mean, I don't know. I'm going to keep on pushing through it. Like, are you interested in watching this Netflix show? Or are you, yeah. yeah. Maybe it's so. also the more digestible way to do it. But again, like, the first thing that clued me into the DC thing, I did see that a recent casting uh, of, uh, I think it was, like, Constantine's sister, I want to say, or maybe daughter. Like, I saw it, there was, like, a female mm-hmm. Constantine. And I was like, wait. Is Jenna it? Coleman, right? From of Doctor Who fame. And so I was like, wait. Is this Constantine related? Because John Constantine is like just straight up DC Universe, right? Like he's in the DC Universe. Or am I wrong? Yeah, I think so. No, yeah, he's... I don't know if he is... Well, he is, definitely is now mm-hmm. at the time. Well, I presume if this if this is... this, I think, yeah. Hellblazer was a Vertigo book, so I guess if this counts... Uh-huh. I mean, Martian Manhunter is in it, so I presume yeah. that counts too. So that was like my first clue that it's like, oh, okay, so this is like kind of, I guess, like loosely connected. But then it's like, now I'm wondering, like, how are they going to navigate the rest of it? Like, I, I, I'm guessing they can't include Martian Manhunter... Like, I'm guessing WB has an interest in keeping their characters within somewhat of possible use of for their, their DC stuff. So, I don't know. We'll see. But, I mean, I feel I feel like a bad comic book fan not loving this book as much as I should. But it's just like the art is kind of a challenge. And it's not even... It a, really like I, I do appreciate that sensibilities have changed. But it's just like a very chaotic art style. So, sometimes my eye is like not fully... Uh, comprehending where it should go next and that's taking me longer and distracting me and not giving me like the the flow that that i would hope for yeah like that's something that i can definitely not hold as a criticism for these like it's usually like a six to nine panel grid yeah just left to right <laughs> it's like i know i know how to read this occasionally you might get like a half a page full drawing but then it's just like yep yeah, back to long thin Long thin panels is the sort of go to here, which are half filled with text. So it's like, well, why draw a picture? To be honest, but uh, yeah, it's interesting that you have the same exact opinions <laughs> as me about Sandman. That it's just like, what else did you read this month? So of course it would be wrong of me not to continue reading Batman No Man's Land, Volume Three. So two to go, and. Uh, Shockingly, it's more Batman No Man's Land. So you know what you're getting at this point. It's just a bunch of small, singular stories that progress the plot in a tiny way. And that's continuing now. Why this is five volumes long, I... Well, actually, if you include Cataclysm and then the two Road to No Man's Land volumes, it's eight volumes of this. One book could have been enough of just... The earthquake, what happened, like, I don't know, the them destroying the bridges and then some sort of plot about 
getting it back to normal. Right. Not five volumes of <laughs> tiny, inconsequential rubbish that... Not rubbish. Well, some of it is. Of just useless nonsense is probably a better way of, of putting it. Just to, I don't know, fill it out. I don't know. I guess this ran for a long time, this event. But why it was structured like this, I don't know. Maybe that was a sign of a thing of the 90s. I just don't get it. But there are some useful aspects of this volume. So there's been a new Batgirl this whole time. Hasn't been so Barbara Gordon still in a wheelchair. So mm-hmm. it's obviously not her. And it's a different costume design. It's like a full face covering. So they reveal finally who it is. It's the Huntress. And then as a fallout from what happened in the last volume of her losing a fight, Batman's like, you can't be Batgirl anymore. So uh, she goes back to being the Huntress. And then in straight away in the next issue, there's a new Batgirl. It's uh, Cassandra Kane, uh, who has quite a long career as, as Batgirl after this. But it's like, what? It was Batgirl, it was Huntress. Okay, that, that was interesting. And then it's not even one story without a Batgirl. It's very literally the next page is Kane tries to kill Jim Gordon. She's not called Cassandra Kane at this point because, well, she doesn't speak. So it's just like, oh, and it's, at the end, you can be Batgirl now. And I've got this suit made. It's the same suit as the one Huntress wore, but I guess a bit smaller because you were a child. Uh, good luck. You're, you're Batgirl now. Mm-hmm. I would say there's no particularly interesting stories in this volume, except maybe one in which uh, it's called Fruit of the Earth. It's written by Greg Rucker with art by Dan Jurgens, Bill Sinkenowitz, coloured by Noel, no, Noel Giddings and lettered by John Costanza. It's a three-part story, which are often the better ones because these one-and-done ones are usually the inconsequential nonsense. Uh, and it's about how... So we haven't seen Poison Ivy yet. We've heard rumours that she has sort of taken over the park and people that go there, they disappear, etc. Well, now we find out that she's sort of got a bunch of kids and they're she's sort of looking at looking after them after the events of the earthquake and they lost their parents so she's got this bunch of orphans she's actually doing a good thing but she's also killing people that enter the park so uh but it turns out so Cleface then went there and sort of kidnapped these hijacked this operation she had going on so she could produce fruit which then he could then sell to the other people other gangs of of Gotham for loads of money. Uh, it's just interesting in the fact that sort of Poison Ivy is there doing something good. In the end, she turns Clayface into a tree. So she's like, oh, you're, you're so fertile. It's like clay. And so she turns him into a tree. And then Batman makes a deal that, oh, you can continue living in the park as long as you don't kill anybody. But you have to produce, like, fruit. And then I will distribute the fruit. So, really, there's no change for her, Poison Ivy, apart from maybe the no killing. You know, again, just the plot has been reset for them. She continues to look after these kids. She continues to make fruit, except now Batman has the fruit, rather than Clayface. Another interesting thing, like the whole... The most interesting aspect, probably, of Batman No Man has got nothing to do with Batman at all. It's more about the GCPD and how they're sort of falling apart, trying to combat this impossible scenario of just a million gangs before them so there's been this police guy can't even remember what his name is it's beside the point he's been sort of like a gung-ho violent police guy 
Um, and in this one, he finally guns down just some people that easily could have just been arrested. Um, and so then he leaves the GCPD to start his own sort of offshoot, and then the Huntress ends up working for them. So that's what happened to her after she got kicked off being being Batgirl. But, I don't Maybe it's me in the 90s, just don't go. I didn't like X-Men Apocalypse that, that much, and I don't really like this that much. I am just reading it because there are two to go. I and think it'll be the insane 90s is a, is a bad era for comic books. And mm-hmm. I think it's like, unfortunately in our mind, we tie it a lot with like this growth of comic books because like there was a lot of really good like 90s TV shows that were capitalizing on like the 80s stories that were still mm-hmm. tough to get through. But it's just like, I think the 90s had both like a mass production um, ability, but with like a, a kind of like, let's put out everything we can just for the sake of putting it out attitude that is just like, there's not a lot of like quality control filters, I guess, happening in the '90s. Is how I feel. Yeah, and I was just like, I know comic books were cheaper at the time, but because I this event has taken over every everything. There's no Batman book you can buy that's not yeah. about No Man's Land. So if you want to read Nightwing, it's about earthquakes. If you want to read <laughs> Batman and Robin, earthquakes. Just Batman, earthquakes, whatever. So if you wanted the full story, you must be just throwing money because it's just yeah. Five volumes of this, of just the same. Nothing is happening. Apart, oh yeah. So we finally knew. So Jim Gordon had made some ally that was actually a bad guy that was killing people. Turns out it was Two Face. Okay, brilliant. I'm sure that will have no, no effect going on apart from maybe they'll have a fight at some point. But I will say, you know, it's good to see Renee Montoya gets a lot of light shone on her here. I think in one of the earlier volumes, there was a uh, just written word issue about her and her brother, which was quite interesting. I believe she's not out yet, right? No, absolutely not. I think in Gotham Central, they kind of explore Mm -hmm. that, but I don't think, yeah. Yeah, it's like when I think of Renee Montoya, I think of Gotham Central, I think of anything Uh much later, I think of her becoming the question. I don't really think of her as a lowly beat cop as she is Mm -hmm. here way back in. Batman, no man, and so it's nice to see some character growth from then to now. But yeah, Batman, no man's land, more of the same mm-hmm. for two more months. Maybe I I'll just read the last two, and then I'll be like done with it. I can't add too much here. I haven't read it. I think like I kind of know that it's a lot. That's about my extent of knowledge on this. That's for the best, I think. <laughs> I guess I'll, I'll talk about the second thing that I read. This mm, month. I please revisited. do. I revisited a, a, a one that I have read, but never to completion, and I was like, let, let, this will be the time. So I bought these ginormous, I guess not for the audio listeners, but you can see like the, the thickness of this oh, yeah. Brian Michael Bendis collection. It's like the New Avengers, and um, it's paperback, which is my preferred way, because I feel like we pay too much for, for, for hardcover. And they never fit in bookshelves. I... Yeah, so I was like, okay, cool. These started coming out, and I'm going to start. I, I bought the first two, so uh, that's what I'll read for now. Um, have you read this run? I haven't. Or, or I've read okay, so, bits and bits. Like I've read some of the event books that came out during this yeah. time, but not the full. So thing. for context, and I can't give the full context because I, while I'm very much like a person that is knowledgeable about X-Men, I'm not as knowledgeable about Avengers. So I don't know where they were before um, Avengers disassembled, which is like where uh, Ben has kind of jumped on. But Avengers Disassembled is, like, this story about, um, basically WandaVision and Multiverse of Madness, right? It's, mm-hmm. like, Wanda, um, I think, actually, it's, like, She-Hulk and, and the Wasp or something. Like, somehow they're, they're talking, and they thought, like, one of them thought they were pregnant with uh, Hawkeye's kid. 
and they were like yeah you know first of all it was like a fake pregnancy thing kind of thing it's like and and they just t- talked to wanda and they're like i can't believe you thought you could have two or something like that and at this point like from the context it's like clear that she messed up and she's like oh no sorry just you know i, I drank too much or whatever and um i'm just like so it seems that at this point they've kind of like brain like manipulated her mind to think that she's never had these kids or maybe she's never had these kids like i, I don't follow like the, the vision wanda kids plot line too closely mm-hmm. but it's a big plot point that that the wasp or i can't remember if it's her or she folk but basically they set her on this journey where she's trying to figure out like what exactly happened to these kids and she goes like crazy right and so she ends up like creating all these threats out of nowhere and like this a big change to wanda's powers period like she used to be like this kind of person that would like loosen a screw and then all of a sudden you know your car falls apart she's straight up creating like an alien kree or uh scroll kree invasion on planet earth she's out here like killing hawkeye she like hawkeye is basically um using herself like a, a kamikaze attack to the alien ship she starts off by bringing back, I think it's like a, uh, an, uh, an old Avenger that had died, but then making him explode to kill like the new Ant-Man at the time, who was, I think, Scott Lang. And so she's just like straight yeah, up just murdering like, all, the, all these Avengers. So it ends up with the Avengers kind of mourning who they were, breaking up, Wanda, I guess, hiding. I don't know. Like, it's a whole thing. I think, actually, Doctor Strange ends up figuring out that it's chaos magic that was happening. And so between... Uh, him and I think like Xavier kind of controlling her mind or whatever some some version of that they they subdue her and then uh, Magneto shows up and takes her away to Genosha that's how that ends. Mm-hmm. Anyways, it's important to note that a um, Bendis kind of had an attitude of I will do whatever the fuck I want when he was writing his Avengers and also that there was no Avengers when he when like he set he set up his run in a very similar like giant size X Men one like you know this is gonna be a new team we have to get rid of the old team kind of thing. Um, so the the new team came out with a lot of um like publicity because it was like basically the who's who of of the marvel mm-hmm. heroes and the one character here that i'll show you is like this little black ninja dude. Oh, yeah. he was part of all the promo stuff right and so as people were looking at this um they were like hmm i wonder who this ninja could be perhaps the other character that brian michael bendis had written that i've talked <laughs> about before could it be daredevil and so this will influence a little bit so i guess if you haven't um the one thing that Bendis does accurately, though, is that he does distill, like, the essence of who the Avengers are. Mm-hmm. They are basically the, or who they should be, you know? Like, they are a team that came together through, like, kind of like a fortuitous event, and that led all these super-powered beings to realize that together we are stronger than, you know, some of our parts. And so he sets up a similar situation. You have um, Matthew Murdock, the attorney, taking Luke Cage to go see, uh, I think, actually the other way, I think Luke Cage is a bodyguard because Matt Murdock has to go see, I think, Purple Man, yeah. or some variation of that. And uh, Spider-Man, Spider-Sense tingles as the raft, uh, the super pr- the yep. super prison where they keep all these people. Um, the, 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 it, it ends up like, losing power, and so all of a sudden, he's there, uh, Matt Murdock is there, Luke Cage is there, Spider-Man swings in, Iron Man flies in. Uh, Spider-Woman is, I think, a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent at this mm-hmm. point, so she's already on the island. Um, and then uh, Captain America, I think, swims across, or some variation of, of that to get there. And they basically all have, end up being there. They manage to contain the situation. And then um, it's, I think it's Captain America who's like, this is um, something that we <laughs> that we need, and, um, and we just we need to restart the Avengers. And so he does that with the people that were there. Matt Murdock says, no, he's like, you know, maybe we'll chat again. No, for now. And so they kind of start off on the first Avenger realizing like, why did this, uh, raft 
attack kind of happened. And it's really cool. I guess like, this, this is the part where I'll give Bendis some credit. That there's a lot of like really, really cool moments in that um, they it's like a, almost like a detective kind mm. of thing where they're like figuring out like the plot line, which I think is like more depth than often is seen in, in, in other uh, in other like Avengers stories. But it ends up being involving one of like the worst mutants ever. It's like Sauron, which is like the guy that turns into dinosaurs. There's like oh, this yeah, whole thing. I think it's in She Hulk or like right? some comedic. There's some comedic like uh, panel of this, and I don't know if this is a joke or it's like in uh, one of these books that's like kind of like meta commentary on it. But there's this whole thing where he's like, "So your whole thing is you just want to turn people into dinosaurs?" And he's like, "Yeah." He's like, "Why?" He's like, "I just like die." It's like really like it, you know, he's a dumb character. But um, so they end up going. It involves Shield having some backdoor deals and you know wanting to do stuff on the Savage Land, and which is why they helped um, Sauron mm-hmm. escape. And to do that, they used Electro Max Dillon, which kind of puts some ties into like Spider Man and so on. Um, after their first arc, they continue like real. They realize that okay, then maybe the world doesn't need Avengers. Maybe there is a spot for us, and so we will form this team. And then they continue kind of building out to that. Like their first thing is trying to recapture all these villains that got away in this like raft power down. And so, like, Wolverine is there, and, um, you know, Luke Cage, Spider-Man, Spider-Woman. And what they do end up bringing in is, uh, the part that I really want to talk about is they bring in the Sentry. Now, I don't know if you know the Sentry, if you're familiar with the Sentry. I'm familiar with the Sentry. I think he had one of the worst, like, participations in the Marvel Universe ever. He just doesn't, like, I think, like, the idea that they try to do is, like, a superhero of the Golden Age... That we never found out. And so we're going to bring out. And he was like really always there. But you never saw him and so on. But I just think like everything since that like core idea. And I'm not even talking about like the book. I'm talking about like the pitch at the meeting. Like everything since then. I don't think has reflected the the success that, poten- that potentially they could have had with the century. Now in this, this, this first arc where you see the century. It involves kind of like them trying to square the circle here. You know like close the square here. Close the circle on, on, um, on this. And. I think it somewhat works, but it does, like you can tell, like because I've read more than this. Like clearly, very fast. They're like, oh no, he just doesn't work at all. Like it, his thing is like as he gets more powerful, his arch enemy, the Void, who is also him, gets more powerful, yep. and so really like there's no way for one to beat the other, and so on. But it's like I don't know, like what are we doing here? It it, it doesn't work out. I as I was reading this. Um, I, I just, like, all I could think of was, like, the Sentry is not a great character. I don't know why we're just extending three, 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 uh, three issues of this book to figure this part out. But I will say, on the plus side, that the arc of the Sentry has art of um, the guy that did Civil War. What is his name? Is it Quartel? Uh, oh, God. Let me check this real this, quick. but I don't know this. But it is, like, uh, I think he is one of the best, 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 best. Oh, is it Steve McNiven? Sorry, I think it's Steve McNiven. Yes, I think that's right. Uh, why did they not put it here? Book. Anyways, I think I it's Steve McNiven. Uh, let me... I wish I could find it faster. Okay, Steve McNiven, it is. But I think his yep. stuff is, like, the best. So, I think that's the plus side of the three issues that you have to like, get through for the century. Overall, I will say it suffers a lot of the Bendisisms, which is, like, he does whatever the hell he wants if it fits his story. He's not, like, super concerned with continuity. And that's not always a wrong thing. I do think, like, people are overly concerned with continuity, but I do think that it's like, you know, he basically rethinks Spider-Woman's powers. He basically recreates ben, uh, the Sentry. He basically um, recreates Scarlet Witch's powers to fit his narrative. And it's like, okay, at some point, maybe just create a new character. If, like, you know, like yeah. what, what you, this is what you need to do for your story. But 
you know, like, there's a lot of love there that you can tell that he has for the Marvel Universe. I think he is, like, one of the main architects of our current Marvel Universe, for better or for worse. And so, you know, I think it's, like, an important thing to read. I, I am going to continue going through it, through it. I, you know, like, there's a lot of the pieces here that went on to be bigger things. Like, you know, the scroll, the secret invasion book is, mm-hmm. is directly spinning off from, at some point, the reveal that Electra was not um, Electra all this time. The Illuminati show up here at some point, too, which is another good idea that he had. Oh, on our Miss Marvel conversation, I do think that the Illuminantes is one of the best things that anyone has ever said in, in any series, which I thoroughly <laughs> enjoyed. But yeah, I, I mean, to the new Avengers, I think it's like, he brought the Avengers to modern times, but he did it like in a very like dirty and not clean way. So it's like, I think the end product is where we need it to be. I think, like, I don't know that he stuck his landing as he was getting through. See, I used to think the Sentry was so cool. I was like, ah, oh, yeah, I like... I think his design is quite cool. Orange. You don't see a lot of orange in the superhero space. Is he orange? I think he's yellow. Or is this supposed oh. orange and I'm just... Well, are, are I thought I thought it was orange. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to Google the Sentry. The Sentry. I think he's yellow and blue. Oh, no. Or maybe this well, is like one of those uh, dress things. Like, you know, the... Images. Like, Oh my god, well, it's sort of a gold. Yeah, I think it's like, if actually, anything. like a gold thing. I think actually he, and like, in his like references to being like a golden age hero, like I think one of his nicknames, you know, it's like, oh, like the Cape Crusader or like this. I think it's somehow like the gold something or like the golden something. Well, now I feel like a fool. But <laughs> however, I used to think the century was really cool. I was like, ah, oh, a, a hero who is also his own villain. Uh-huh. How exciting. But then it's like, right, well, we've decided that he was a hero from the past, So, but no one knows who he is and everyone forgot. So we've got to just shoehorn him in mm-hmm. every way we possibly can. And I think that is where yeah. they went wrong. with this. Why they didn't just make him just a new hero or something in the modern day? Like, what aspect does him being a Golden Age hero really add to the yeah. century? Yeah, for sure. I think it was, like, the marketing of it is what it ended up being. But, again, it's like, when these decisions are made for marketing purposes, they don't end up paying off. I do think, like, the big to the bigger question to me is, like, why did you decide to bring in a Superman-level hero that you've then struggled since then to, like, put into your Marvel Universe? Where it's, like, you you have to have a villain that technically Captain America can beat up with a shield. So you can't make him, like, too, too OP either. And so all of a sudden you have this hero who's out here, like... I don't know, punching people around when he could stop this immediately. Like, at some point in in one of these, like, crossovers, and I hope this isn't a spoiler for people, but, like, the Sentry literally gets killed because they, they just didn't have anything to do with him anymore. Like, they, they, they couldn't make him work, and it's like, couldn't you figure that out before you did this? Like, did it not make sense to think about, like, do we need a Superman-level hero? And I think, again, they've kind of done it. Like, there's this, um, again comic book fans, I bear, have vague knowledge of a lot of things outside of the X-Men world, but it's like Squadron Supreme, the Supreme Squadron. Yeah, Hyperion is already. Hyperion. I'm gonna say a he's also level. like a Superman level, and I think they're bring, they also either brought him or they're bringing him into the Marvel universe, right? And so my question is like, do you have you thought out the logistics of like what you will have him doing when you're trying to cross over all your heroes, and the threat has to be something that again, like a Daredevil or a, a Captain America or like all these other kind of street level heroes that you've built up have to be able to do, while at the same time you have a Superman-level hero just, like, flying around doing nothing, right? Yeah, I think that's something... It's a big criticism people throw at Superman himself. I mean, you know, you've got the Justice League there, but really only one member of the Justice League is a is a normal guy. And even then, I mean, he's so... Ri- you know, when it comes to these big event books, he's not really a normal guy. It's always, oh, Batman's wearing this. 
ultra armor made from some nth metal thing that is needed. So, like, yeah, yeah. I think DC have had many years to cover this this problem. You know, he went from stopping cars and so that to like you know fighting space space aliens. Whereas the other century, yeah, this doesn't work for me. But we'll see how I feel about the next issue. Maybe he will have a moment that I have forgotten. Uh, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> maybe you'll have a moment that I wish I had forgotten. <laughs> yes, maybe it's more likely to be that, I think. So, one of the new segments, probably actually the only real new segment, as I said, it's all change but really no change, uh, is, so, a couple of months ago, or was it last month? I can't remember. I think it was last month. We talked about webcomics. Uh, yeah, because it was about Heartstopper, right? Mm-hmm. So, now, new segment, webcomic of the month. And I brought one to share with you today it is called Alethea I think he's gonna I'm gonna go with how you say it and it's by Christina Stipetic and it can be found on webtoons and so you will find the link in the description when you come to, to reading this uh reading this watching no not even watching it listening <laughs> to it uh so the is a is a, there are 184 different parts and the last one of these was released in august of 2021 so i can't say whether it's i also haven't read it all because that is yeah. an extortionate amount but i can't say whether it's on hiatus or it has just ended yeah uh but uh the last two answer we will find out we will find out together yes exactly <laughs> although it does say on the page that it comes out like every tuesday and it's been a lot mm-hmm. of tuesdays since august 2021 yeah, but I have read the first four chapters of this, uh, so I think that covers like from number one to number fifty or sixty or so, and so it's about an unnamed, at least currently, a female robot who is also an amnesiac, and she mm-hmm. is travelling around this under the world is, is unknown to her. It's also filled with robots. We're yet to see another actual person. But, I mean, the fact they're robots is not really important, at least so far. The only thing, it's a world full of people, but the people are robots. And she is not only trying to learn more about herself and her surroundings, but just help people along along the way. So it's not the most complex of uh, stories, but it's interesting in that, of course, with the, all stories like this, it doesn't always go to plan. But it's the way that it doesn't go to plan, which I found particularly interesting. So the second story, I mean, spoilers, I guess. Well, I mean, not I guess. I'm just going to tell you what happened. Uh, so she comes across this village of these robots, and they can only walk 800 paces from their, their town because they charge themselves from these trees and... So they can walk 400 meter steps away and then 400 steps back. And so one of them finds our female robot protagonist and um, they decide, and he decides, oh, well, I want, I want to see more of this world, but I can't because I can only walk 800 steps and then I will die. And their whole village, there are even numbers of them because the males and females join together to form the trees which then go on to charge the the future generations of of robots but he decides to leave anyway because why not and uh, so they go off and she realizes she can charge him 
because she can walk a lot more than 400 steps. And so sort of they travel together for a little bit. And she, well, then he decides that he wants to go back just so he can go and say goodbye. So they don't just think he just disappeared or was killed or, or whatever. So they go back and uh, throughout this happening, it was revealed that the male robot was having, I guess, some possible new relationship with one of the popular kids of this robot group. And uh, but then it's revealed that actually no one wanted to be his partner to become a tree. This popular girl was only sort of doing it because someone had to do it. And so obviously that is very upsetting for him. And so then he decides, well, screw this. And so just becomes a tree by himself, um, which is something that they mentioned earlier that can happen. But these trees are fruitless in that you can't use these trees to charge yourself it's just a, a tree so yeah she tried to help this guy by letting him see the world and in the end he becomes sort of just a, a useless tree um and that's how a lot of these stories seem to have gone there's another one where he sort of arrives at this city and there's sort of a class-based divide between the people that are making silicon and those that use the silicon and she tries to intervene there but Again, doesn't go to plan. But what I particularly liked about it was how it looked. So you would expect robots, I don't know. I was When I'm reading a story about robots, I wasn't expecting a watercolour-like style. And, stage, yeah. Yeah. and that was just very nice to look at. It's all quite serene. There's a lot of just big panels of, of landscapes with no, no text on. I think the character designs aren't particularly novel or, or amazing but it's the way that they are done which I think is, is nice so yeah Aletheia by Christina Stipetic would recommend and there is possibly a definitive number so if you like <laughs> reading complete works this might be might be for you your reading experience will end either by choice or by force because it's, <laughs> there's exactly it's not going on unless it'll be one of those things where like two years from now suddenly another one pops up and you're like oh damn time to time to get yeah. back i don't know if you're familiar with like the the fan fiction community but i have like some friends that are like big into mm-hmm. reading fanfic and it's like one of their biggest pet peeves is like when the story gets good and then there's just no ending like there's no further update so i'll hope it's not that i hope that they are either on a uh, pl- pre-planned hiatus or like maybe they just completed mm-hmm. it and this like has not you know they haven't updated like every exactly. parameters to make it seem exactly the final one but uh yeah very good i was I was looking around. What could I talk about here? What did I? You know, I read a couple of bits of this. There's a lot of web comics that aren't great. And this is something I stumbled across. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, it was how it looked that was like first drew me to. I was like, oh, actually, it's quite interesting. This this woman robot that is trying to help out but doesn't quite seem to get the outcome that she often wants. So yeah, would recommend. Yeah, I'm excited to check it out. So other things that are worth checking out are of course. Layered Butter, which you can follow Layered underscore Butter on Twitter and at Layered Butter on Instagram. I think every month, every yeah, month, correct. there's now a pang of, of worry that it's the wrong order. Although I copied and pasted it from last month, so if I was wrong last month, I'd be wrong again. Um, no, you're spot on. Tell worry. us, Rodrigo, what is happening in the world of Layered Butter at the moment? Uh, we are about to print our final issue of our first run of issues, which was Studio mm-hmm. Ghibli. So, like so far, we have printed our and delivered our 
um, Quentin Tarantino, Christopher Nolan, Modern Horror, and James Bond issues. Our last one is Studio Ghibli, and so we are working. We've finalized the date. We've booked with a printer. It's in July, so that will probably be reaching people in August. Um, obviously, after that, we will be figuring out how we approach this next. I know it's been like our, our biggest pet peeve was that there was a lot of waiting between like when an issue would go to print and or sorry when it would be mm-hmm. finalized and, and then go to print. So we're trying to find ways around not having it to be as heavily that. But other than that, you know, like we have also our Larry Butter podcast that is coming to an end next Sunday for the season, not not forever. So um, there might be a bonus episode. Uh, we, we like there, there, there's this whole thing, this conversation right now in the Canadian landscape of cinema about uh, the big uh, theater chains, big big chains of theaters versus the small mm-hmm. indie and who gets what in terms of distribution. And so we have, we're, we have a guest that we're trying to book to see if she can make it work. If we're able to get that, we'll have an extra episode. Um, if not, it'll be just one more episode uh, for the season. So um, yeah, our, our latest episode is about uh, Pedro Almodovar, which is a Spanish director who happens to be a gay man. It's just for pride, we wanted mm-hmm. to focus on somebody who's out there telling queer stories. So if that's of interest to you, go check it out. I never really thought about what cinemas get what. Because it was here that the small cinema got everything everywhere all at once first and then suddenly Cineworld, one of the bigger chains suddenly had it too but like just before is that well and also Aberdeen not a big city they're building another cinema here that'll be four cinemas in the city center I mean mm-hmm. come on I see a lot of films and I've never been to a screening that's full in any of them so sadly I think it'll probably be the small independent cinema that may fall first but hopefully not because i quite like it there but we don't want to end end on a downer note so um <laughs> films are good yeah go yeah. watch a movie support your local smaller theater if possible but if all you have is like the big massive conglomerates also do that you know you're not responsible for solving all of capital exactly and i like going to the cinema so i would be sad to see films cinemas never exist so uh Oh no, that's getting a bit sad again. Well, hopefully that will never happen and we will live in a really positive future where there will be cinemas everywhere we go. for everyone to enjoy. So this has been a PSG Shoot Breeze episode 28. We will be back in a month with more happy news. Goodbye. Goodbye.